guys, welcome back to Cedar and Cypress Pod. I hope that you had a wonderful Thanksgiving holiday with your friends and family. Hope you had awesome food and that it was a great day for you. Welcome to the first episode of our new series entitled Advent with Allison. And I just wanted to mention briefly that Liv is taking a hiatus during the month of December. And this is because she needs to focus her creative efforts and her creative energy on working on her thesis development for her Master of Divinity, which is so crazy to me. It is so crazy that she's getting so close to the end of her degree. But right now she's working on planning her thesis and researching for her thesis. She'll start writing that in the new year. So right now she's just saving her energy and focus for that, as well as the fact that she's helping her husband with their ministry at their church. So her schedule is just very blocked off right now, which is totally fine. Do not worry. She will be back in the new year and she's still accessible through our Instagram and email accounts. So I will miss her for these episodes in December and I know you guys will as well, but don't worry. She will 100% be back. So with that said, I wanted to let you guys know and introduce you to this new Advent series that we've crafted, which is really intended to enrich your holiday season in 2022, to really help you draw nearer to Jesus and to his story and to, honestly, the reason that we celebrate Christmas. And I know if you've been in the church for a long time, if you've been a Christian for a long time, you do know deep down it's like, okay, we're celebrating Jesus, the fact that he was born, all that crazy stuff. That's awesome. That's great. But I really wanted to help you guys kind of connect back to Christmas at its most deepest and fundamental level. And these next five Sundays of Advent, so including this last Sunday of November and then including the four Sundays in December, will walk us through the highlights of why we celebrate the Christmas season, why it's really here to help orient our hearts towards God, his perfect plans, see his amazing character, but also just really to look afresh at the Christmas story and to see it in a new light. I'm hoping that I can do that for you. And if nothing at all, maybe you'll just learn a couple things and that this will be an encouragement to you as you walk through your Christmas season. Really, we could have just decided to do regular episodes, but for me, it's just this season is my favorite holiday and I wanted to do something special for the podcast and wanted to put together a series that hopefully you will enjoy and that will edify you and inform the way that you celebrate Christmas this year with your loved ones. So before we get started, I did want to kind of just mention what Advent is because I was talking with someone the other day and they actually didn't know what Advent was. And I don't think it would be all right for us to always just assume that everyone knows what Advent is. So Advent really comes from the Latin word that is Adventus and it means coming or to come. So it signals this arrival, this appearance of something or someone, that something is coming and is on its way. So this concept is about waiting for Jesus and waiting for the fact that he was born on earth. And so we have something to commemorate and something to look forward to every single Christmas. Even though Jesus is coming has already happened, this season of Advent, these days and weeks leading up to Christmas Day are what we call Advent in a celebration, an intentional celebration, putting aside time and space in our spiritual lives to recognize that, to focus on that, and to give all glory to God for that. 
Advent is something my family did when we were younger. My mom had tons of different Advent things. I mean, there were some like Advent toys or we had Advent books. And I just remember growing up, I don't, I don't remember all the details of everything we did for Advent, but I remember my mom trying to be pretty intentional with us and just helping us understand that Christmas is not just any other holiday and it's something very special and to make it very special as well. We had a lot of kids in our family, so we weren't always allowed or not able always to get a ton of presents or to do something very extravagant. But what my mom really wanted us to focus on was the meaning of Christmas and the eternal significance of it, which looking back now, I'm so grateful for because it helps me disconnect from the commercialization of what Christmas is and really to its overall meaning and significance. So John 1.14 says, The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. This verse points us to that meaning of Advent for the fact that the word became flesh, Jesus being the word, and came and dwelt among humanity, and that we have seen his glory, a glory is only the Son from the Father, Jesus, who is full of grace and truth. Now, one of the really cool things about Advent is that the buck doesn't just stop here with Christmas and the story that we are familiar with, the virgin birth, the nativity, you know, the star of David. There's actually so much more to it. The double meaning of Advent that I discovered when I was doing research for this, I will link the article from the Gospel Coalition that I found on it, is that we still have Advent that we can do today because our entire existence here as Christians is waiting and living in anticipation of the fact that Jesus is coming again. So yes, he's come once. He came as a human. He stepped down into earth but he still is coming again. And we as Christians are anticipating the fact that he's going to return. He's going to reign in perfect peace and perfect glory, and we're going to praise him for eternity. And so as Christians, we know that the Christmas story is not where things end. We can continue to celebrate and anticipate and wait for that arrival, that coming that we know is on its way. We know Jesus is on his way. Although we don't know when, and we don't know exactly what's going to happen. We might not have all the details of it. Jesus did mention that only the Father knows the time and the hour that Jesus is going to return. So Jesus doesn't, Jesus the Son doesn't even know. And so we have a lot of responsibility here on our shoulders to live in such a way that points to him and points people to him with all the time that we have right now. And with that said, I think that it's it's really important to think about why Jesus came to earth in the first place for his first coming. When we talk about Christmas Advent, why would we care that Jesus came to earth if we don't know why he came to earth? Just, I mean, for me, I'm a very logical person and I like to pick apart things and understand why things happen. So it's hard for me to divorce caring about Jesus coming from why he came in the first place, which is what this episode is really all about. This episode is meant to set up the scene and help us understand this this world that Jesus is stepping into, how it was created, why it was created, and give us a picture and a glimpse of this place that Jesus was stepping down into as we anticipate Christmas Day and his actual birth story. I would really encourage you that if you are familiar with the Christmas story and if you've heard it many times or you grew up in the church to 
approach this with fresh eyes. Approach Christmas this year with a new attitude and a renewed heart and joy for what it really means because Christmas is so much more than just the virgin birth, the nativity, the star of David, the wise men. Now, those are all amazing things that we're going to get into and learn about the significance of, but I'd really encourage you to, as we go through this Christmas story, what we're really meant to recognize here is our inadequacy and the absolute grace, forgiveness, and humility of God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit in this story. I want these details to shock you in a way. There are ways that we gloss over the, the amazing parts of our of the Christmas story and of the biblical narrative because we're so used to hearing it. So my goal with this Advent series is to give you fresh eyes and renew your respect, perspective. <clears throat> so I implore you not to approach this as jaded or apathetic or bored, but to really give it a chance and open your Bible and be here with me as we look through some of the aspects of the Christmas story here. Simply put, sin is very real and it's deathly dangerous and extremely pervasive in our lives. I don't think you would be able to find someone who doesn't see brokenness in this world. You need only to turn on the news for about 20 seconds before you hear stories of violence and pain and hurting and poverty and suffering around the world and in your own community. And I think that one of those things that it can really point us to when we see those that brokenness and we're confronted very frequently through the internet and social media with the brokenness that is in the world to remember why Jesus came. And so why Jesus came, we have to set up with understanding why this world was created. So first, let's discuss why the world was created and why humans are even here. I think that a lot of times we want to skip straight to the fall if we're familiar with the the Christmas story and the biblical narrative. So if we're familiar with how the world was created, we can kind of just feel like we can gloss through the first two chapters of Genesis, but I think it's really important for us to actually look at those and see the way that God created the world. First in chapter one, we see that there is chaos and there's no order in the world. So I'm just going to read here for you Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So what we see right here in the very first verse of the Bible is that there is chaos and there is no order in the world. And yet, God is still present, and we see that he's here. One thing that I want to mention as well is that the very beginning of the world, before anything was created, all three members of the Trinity were present. We see in Genesis 1-1 that the Spirit of God was present. We also know from John 1, 1 verse 1 through 3, that Jesus, the Son, was also present at the beginning of the world because the Jesus is the Word, who has John refers to Jesus. So <clears throat> what we see here is God creates this beautiful, beautiful earth. He creates light. He creates the sky. He creates land. He creates plants. He creates stars, moon, and planet. And he also creates the animals. And then finally, God decides to create humans. And this is really what we see happening in Genesis 1, verse 26 and 27. So it says, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful 
and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, because you have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. It's incredible. We see that God speaks everything into existence, and then finally, once he's seen that everything is good and it's beautiful, he decides to make man. Now, I want to take a quick aside and just mention here that when God says things are good, that means they're whole. That means that there's not, it is not lacking anything. It doesn't need anything more, but that the way God has made it, which he mentions over every single thing he created, that is good. And then it's whole and it's how he wants it to be and he is pleased with it. And then after all of that, he creates man. Why does he create man? For community and for relationship. God creates man for community and relationship. This was our very first purpose. God is a relational being. He exists as one God in three persons, like I mentioned in the Trinity, all three of them being present at the time the world was founded. And I found this quote in an article called Our God is a Relational God that really hones in on this point probably better than I could explain it. So I'm just going to read it here. God did not create the world in order to become loving. Rather, he created because he is loving. If we're ever going to reflect God's heart to a hurting world, we must start with this basic truth. God is love. And since he creates the physical world out of his triune love, he doesn't reluctantly love the goldfish or the clouds, mountains, and elephants. He does so freely and joyfully. Similarly, no one has to convince God to look with compassion on a hurting child or homeless person. God loves each and every one of us as his creations. And because the loving creator loves all his creatures, it makes sense that we should too. So we see here at the most fundamental level that God is relational. They work together. The Trinity is enjoying each other all together before the chaos of the world is put in order by God. And then he creates his ambassadors on earth to steward it, to make it flourish and to make it prosper. He creates man and he creates woman. However, we know by looking at our world around us that there is death, there is chaos, there is brokenness, and it doesn't really seem like that same world that God created. I think that frequently because we have this shattered reality and things are different from the way that they were created in Genesis 1, it's hard to believe that God actually did that and that he meant it to be that way. Well, there's actually an explanation for why our world doesn't look the way that it used to when God first made it and how God intended it to be in perfect relationship and in perfect flourishing. So brokenness and moral failure enter the world. This problem arises in Genesis 3. After God has made man and woman and he assigns them to enjoy and work the earth and he tasks them with ruling over all the animals, man falls. And what do they ultimately lose? It's relationship with God that they lose. We know that Adam and Eve walked with God in the garden. We knew that they enjoyed his presence and perfect peace, but their very purpose and meaning, quite literally what they were made to do and the mode in which they were meant to exist, which is relationship, it's torn and it's ripped apart. It's fractured as a result of their moral failure. So I'm going to read to you a couple verses in the third chapter of Genesis and I'm going to start in the first verse. Now the serpent, just pausing here, this is referring to the Satan. This is Lucifer, the fallen angel. The serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. 
But God said, You shall not eat of any of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and it was a delight to the eyes, and the tree was to be desired and good to make one wise, he, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they both knew they were naked. And they sewed fig leagues together and made themselves loincloths. You may have heard this story a million times, but I challenge and implore you not to hear it, just like it's the millionth time, but to really listen to it anew. What we see here is the serpent who wants to create destruction, who wants to bring chaos into the order and the beauty that God created. He deceives the woman. So first of all, he tells her, did God really say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden, which is actually 100% inaccurate. God gave them that garden and said, you can eat of anything, but you will not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. He commanded them not to do so. So already Satan is adding qualifiers onto something that God said. He's taking God's instruction and God's guidance, and he's warping and perverting it so that it it's almost kind of like a half truth. And that's the way that he deceives humanity and has been doing so ever since Eve. So Eve actually goes on and participates in this deception. Whether she knew it or not, we're not fully aware of, but she actually adds more qualifiers onto what God said. So she says, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it. So here is where that second deception or that adding qualifier occurs on Eve's part. So what we see here is any time that the word of God or the message of God or his instructions, anything that he's ever said, when it's added to or subtracted from, we lose the true meaning. And when we add our own qualifiers, this is what results in moral failure. When we add those things onto it that either we wanted to hear or we thought we heard, but anytime we misinterpret and pervert the word of God, we, this results in lies. Now listen to me when I say, the greatest lie ever told was that God is withholding something from you. This is what Satan did to Eve. And I want to say it again because it's just, it's so important. The greatest lie ever told by the devil to humanity is that God is withholding something from you. A better life, an easier life, or a more fulfilling and happy circumstance, or something that is anything other than what you are experiencing right now. That there is something that is not accessible to you or God has not made available to you as a result of him not loving you or not being good. We buy into this lie so many times, whether we realize it or not. We live in such a way that indicates that we don't think that God is good or that he is withholding something from us or that there is something he's not made accessible to us that would make our lives better or easier or you know, whatever it may be, whatever we're searching for. And the problem here is like we mentioned in the first part of this episode, God is relational and created humans for relationship. So our purpose was first and foremost to be in relationship with him. And at that time, Adam and Eve had 100% access to God. They lived in his presence. They lived in his perfect world. They were charged with being his ambassadors and being made in his own image to represent him down on earth. Now, the problem is that they did not recognize this purpose and they decided to go on their own way because the enemy deceived them. The adversary, the Satan, deceived them. 
And why does the enemy tell this lie? This lie that God's withholding or something isn't accessible to you that you need. Because he knows that the only thing that you need is God himself. And if he can trick you and he can deceive you and he can add things onto what God said or subtract from it in any way, he's going to do so. Because he himself has convinced himself of this same lie, that he would be a better God or that God was holding something back in such a way that Satan would be a better ruler or better in any circumstance. So he will lie to you. Misery loves company. He, his nature is to lie to you and he will do whatever it takes to take you down with him because he hates God and he is against God. So then he also hates God's ambassadors, God's representatives. Genesis 3 calls the serpent, the adversary, he calls him crafty. In Luke 10, 18, Jesus says, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. In Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28, we see this evil nature of Satan and that he's fallen from grace. I don't have time to get into all the the details of Satan, the Satan's fall and his the enemy and you know how that happened we could probably do an episode on that for sure but what you need to know for the purpose of advent and the purpose of christmas is that satan hates humanity because he hates god john 8 44 says you are of your father the devil and your will is to do your father's desires he referring to satan here he was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. What this means, friends, is that he is ruthless, he is evil, he will deceive and lie to you, and he will do what it takes. And it's what he did in the garden. He deceived Adam and Eve into thinking, you know what, relationship with God isn't enough. Enjoying what he created and gave to us is not enough. And I wanted to camp here for a little while because I think that you and I are frequently and easily deceived by the same lie. We frequently buy into this temptation that there's something better. We think that the grass is greener or that it's God's fault that we're stuck here where we are in life when it nothing could be further from the truth. So <clears throat> for some, it's just so much easier to ascribe to the idea that God is distant or that he's not good or that he doesn't care about our lives. Because we're so far from what we hoped or desired that our lives would look like by this point in time. So we have, you know, we ask God questions like, God, why don't I have the money or the resources that I I want to have? Why is my body failing or why am I not as healthy as I want to be? Or why am I unhappy with my circumstances or my relationships? Why are my relationships failing? Or or why did things just not look the way they, they are? Why have people hurt me? Why have they wronged me? You look around and you see that your, your life is littered with being hurt and hurting other people. And this defiance, this idea that we're rebelling against God and we think that he's withholding, it's born from the idea that he is not good and that the things that we deeply desire, he is keeping from us. And that is just such a lie because what we should desire is him. He's not keeping anything from us. His presence is available and accessible to us. But the truth is that all we've ever needed is relationship with him. At its very fundamental core, that is what humanity was created for. We see that mankind was made for relationship with him and not for anything else, not to find fulfillment in anything else, nothing earthly. Instead of trying to find significance and security in what is created, we need to look to the creator because he created out of abundance and relationship and love. So notice when Adam and Eve are banished from the garden after what they'd done, they still had each other. They still had this material world, but what they lost was intimacy with God. 
And clearly their lives did not turn out necessarily how they wanted it to be because you need only look so far as their children to see the first murder. You need only look to their family to see, all right, corruption and moral failure is entering the world and it has spread into every man's heart. And these things alone, Adam and Eve having each other or having a family or having this material world, they did not satisfy because they lost intimacy. They lost relationship with God. The same is true for you. You're not going to be able to find that same significance in your spouse or in your significant other. You're not even going to find it in your family. You're not going to find it in your friends. You're not going to find it in this material world because Humanity never has. They never did, even right after Adam and Eve were banished from the garden. And it's not like anything has changed now. It would probably be pretty ignorant of us to think that anything has changed since then. That if Adam and Eve weren't satisfied by their circumstances without God, that somehow we are going to be the exception. That somehow we are the human who's going to magically find that in created things. Because we have been so severed from our purpose that we tend to think that what's created is going to satisfy us. All we needed was God. All humankind ever needed was God. And we see that very clearly in these first couple chapters of Genesis. So what I'm trying to get at here is that the greatest mistake we could ever make is to believe this lie, to buy into this idea that God is holding out on us or there's something that he holds back from us because there isn't anything. Truly what we need is himself. If we pursue anything but him and we work on finding our selfish desires, we're going to end up empty. We're going to find ourselves broken. This lie and all the implications that flow from it bring us into this idea that we could do God's role better. We can fulfill ourselves and we will achieve status. We'll achieve satisfaction and significance and security from the things around us. How other people think of us or whether we're well liked or not. And it's crazy, really, how different would our lives look if we remember that God created us out of love for relationship, for community, and that the only thing we ever needed was him to just be relational with him and to enjoy this good earth and have dominion over it. And that means that when Adam and Eve sinned, when they decided to go their own way and they participated in moral failure and deception with the Satan, that they transgressed his law, that they were moral failures. They didn't hit the goal. They didn't hit the mark. And that means that consequences are required because God is a just God. If you look throughout the Old Testament, you will find many times where God punishes evil. And it can actually be a little bit scary to look at some of those stories and to see God's wrath. But it really points to how amazing of a God he is because he is justice. He's the embodiment of justice and order. And we know that God wouldn't be just because justice demands penalty or payment if he didn't demand also penalty and payment for Adam and Eve's sin. So we see here that his commandments and his guidance, his order has been violated. And so now a penalty is needed. And we know from Romans that the penalty for that is death. Romans 6.23 tells us, The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So if everything that God was that God created, all the order he made, the violation of that and the result in that is the direct opposite. So when God created life, the penalty for violating his order is death. And so we see that very clearly in what happens with Adam and Eve and what happens with their children and the fact that sin and death is now introduced into the world. The good news is that there is good news. Jesus is the king. He reigns today and he is for you. 
there is so much more to this story to be explored, but I think it was really important that we set up this this understanding of how the world was created and how it fell, how humankind made in God's image fell because nobody cares that Jesus came if we don't know why. So we know now that there is death in the world because Adam and Eve sinned and they missed the goal. They completely morally failed. So there's going to be a need for a mediator. There's going to be a need for someone who's going to be able to fulfill God's law, to follow his guidance, and there needs to be a punishment for the sin and the penalty of the world. We'll see very quickly. This is just a sneak preview of next episode. Genesis 3.15, when God curses Adam and Eve and banishes them from the garden. God says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So here we have our very first messianic prophecy. We get a glimpse that there is going to be someone who arrives or who comes in order to rescue and to liberate. And I don't want to dive too deep into that because that's what next week's episode is all about. It's about Jesus and messianic prophecies and what even is a messiah and what even what even is a prophecy. So if you are interested in that and you would like to see how the story re resolves itself and how God immediately goes on a mission to save humanity and to rescue them from their mess, you definitely do not want to miss next week's episode. What we are already seeing is that although man sinned, God was immediately putting into motion a rescue plan. He was already on a mission to liberate us from our mess. And so, like I mentioned, tune in for next week's episode, which is going to be all about messianic prophecies. That is what I have time for today, and I will see you next time.